Well, no resolution yet on the US debt ceiling. They are leaving it awfully close, aren't they? And still a way apart, it seems. So we are in for a crazy week for volatility. Meanwhile, Jerome Powell has hinted at a pause in June for the Fed, despite what we've been hearing from his compatriots. And Christine Lagarde saying the ECB needs to buckle up and get inflation down. And a minimum wage in line with inflation in Australia. Does that mean inflation will necessarily rise? Plus, Japan, the new un-China. Ready for a busy week. It is Monday, the 22nd of May, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is down almost 0.4% on Friday, but half a percent up on the week. Uh, in fact, it was a good end for the week for the Aussie dollar. It was up 0.4% to 66.5 US cents. The Japanese yen up more than half a percent, but the standout was the Kiwi dollar. It was up 0.9% on Friday. It got over 63 US cents, but of course it was higher than that a couple of weeks ago, of course. US equities fell on Friday, a quarter percent down for the Nasdaq, a third of 1% down for the Dow, but stocks up in Europe, up 0.6% for the Eurostoxx 50, but down in China with the Hang Seng down 1.4% on Friday, and up in Japan, the Nikkei up 0.8%, whilst the ASX 200 was up 0.6%. And US bond yields pushed higher, up 3 for 10-year treasuries. Uh, With the exception of the UK, yields were down across Europe, down 2 basis points for 10-year bonds, but up 4 for 10-year gilts. And Aussie 10 years are up 11 basis points on Friday, up to 3.59%. And oil fell down 0.4% for Brent and WTI, but Comex Gold up 1.1% after a momentary period below 2,000 last week. So more worries at the end of the week than there was earlier in the week. An obvious reason for that. Let's start with that with NAB's Rodrigo Cotrill in Sydney. The debt ceiling, it's still there unresolved. McCarthy and Biden uh, are talking Monday, US time, after Republican negotiators walked out of the talks on Friday. So it's not been going terribly well. Yeah, that's right, Phil. Um, Morning. Um, There was a you know, the context as well is that on Thursday, everybody was so a bit about it, uh, even talking about a, a deal being likely over the weekend. And, and yet uh, all these tensions came back on Friday uh, with Republicans accusing um, uh, Democrats not, not, not yielding on any cuts in terms of spending. Uh, and Republicans, again, reiterating that they don't want to see spending being higher next year relative to this year. So uh, they walked out, then they came back in, and then they walked out again. And, and as you say, over the weekend, now they've agreed that they're going to start talking again on Monday. So we've been here before, but certainly in terms of market reaction, it did affect to create a little bit of volatility in equities and rates markets. Um, and of course, the, the deadline is, is approaching soon. And, and, and uh, McCarthy Dillon, said he's, uh, he's not going to accept a short-term extension. He's, he's, yes. So it's going to be quite yes. a week, isn't it? I mean, Joe Biden just has to, you know, just move on uh, health care and education cuts. He's just got to give them what they want and then the problem <laughs> goes away. That's it. Simple. Yep, that's it. Um, and I suppose Jalen also commented over the weekend uh, and now saying that the, the, the government won't be able to pay its bills probably by the 15th of June. So maybe suggesting that that deadline of the 1st of June has a little bit of room in terms of uh, surviving, if you like. Uh, so, again, it plays to the view that maybe these negotiations um, will linger for a little bit longer because, as we know, in terms of history, um, uh, the deal or a deal typically tends to be done at, at the very kind of, you know, 
cliff cliff end, if you like, uh, um, and it, it paints the idea that maybe there's a couple of weeks here where politicals, political uh, players can play a little bit before resolution is achieved. All right, well, we'll watch with interest. I mean, I did say last week it was all political posturing and I couldn't understand why there was quite so much enthusiasm. Uh, but, you know, no one listens to me. Uh, the <laughs> So, uh, Jerome Powell, over the weekend, a pause in June. He's hinted at, uh, you know, which is interesting because uh, does that mean we can now dismiss all that more hawkish talk that we had last week from other members of the Fed? Uh, or is he just one man in a confused picture that's coming from uh, right across the board? Um, well, he is the main man. Uh, so I think what, what he says yeah, matters a little bit more. Over, um, yes, but it's mm. true that we've had quite a bit of um, uh, Fed speakers, uh, some of which have been very supportive of further rate hikes. Uh, but uh, um, the chair spoke on Friday. Uh, he noted that we have come a long way in the policy tightening um, and that the stance of policy is restrictive uh, and that there's also a lot of uncertainty, not only from the cumulative effect or effects from all the tightening that has been done so far, but also from the uh, potential or extent of the credit tightening that is coming from the banking sector. So putting all that together, he see, he's arguing that there's, you know, we can afford a little bit of a pause and see the lay of the land um, and certainly place the view that, um, uh, you know, at least his view is that uh, next meeting in June, a uh, pause looks likely. Worth noting, however, that there's still data coming through. Um, yeah, so this is all conditional on how the data uh, prints. And we not only have PCE later this week, but also a CPI print uh, on the day um, when the Fed meets as well. Well, so uh, so t- two-year Treasury notes were, were flat on Friday, but uh, 10-year Treasuries were up. So what does that tell us? It's sort of is that suggesting that even if there is a pause, it doesn't, you know, it's not changing the expectation for the end game at all. It isn't at the moment. Um, and uh, if anything, the, the theme when you look across the board of core global yields is actually uh, a rise in core global yields uh, for, for the week. Um, so overall, in terms of the, the data flow that we've been getting uh, recently, Really, there's the, the market sort of shifting to this idea that maybe there's a little bit more resilience in the economy uh, and also the expectations of rate cuts uh, are not coming as imminently as currently priced. So we're seeing that, that, that pushback, if you like, in terms of pricing expectations. Now, interestingly, yields down in Europe, even though Christine Lagarde has been saying, well, I guess it might all change today, but she's been saying the ECB needs to buckle up and keep interest rates sustainably high, her words, if they're, if they're going to beat inflation. She's sounding very hawkish. She sounded very hawkish and, and, and emphasised uh, that the ECB needs to deliver on its inflation target as well. So a reminder that mm. although many central bank speakers talk about their reluctancy to to hike ultimately they all um, you know have this mandate in terms of inflation and and, and the ECB in particular is reminding us that that is that that is the the main the main driver even if it implies a slowdown of the economy um, they need to fight inflation and they need to bring it down so first does this change the expectation then for the ECB I mean it is expected that they are going to raise by 25 basis points in June and then perhaps one more after that does this sort of solidify this idea that yes there's going to be Two more at least. Well, it just reminds you of the debate that is going internally within the ECB because um, some have suggested that, you know, we are getting close to, to pausing, so 350. 
but the, the more hawkish speakers are, are really suggesting this idea that you need to take the, the, the deposit rate to 4%. So I think it keeps that debate uh, alive. Um, and of course, how the data prints between now and then will, will, will determine um, you know, whether the, the ECB will look to pause uh, earlier rather than later. But certainly at the moment, um, the ECB or Lagarde is talking the game and is reminding everyone that you know, they're still very much committed to, to further hikes until they see evidence that, that inflation is easing. And Aussie two-year yields picked up quite a bit last week, didn't they? Up to 3.33%. So how much of that is related to the budget and, you know, the, the, the concerns perhaps about inflation from too much government spending? And, and has Tony Burke added to that over the weekend uh, saying, you know, the minimum wage must stay in line with inflation? I mean, ignoring the politics of it, uh, I mean, could the markets see that as a sign that inflation is going to rise and the RBA will have more to do? Or is that overstating the case a little bit? I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about the very low, low income earners, aren't we? So is it really going to be inflationary? Um, well, I think that it, it just tells us that, you know, the RBA has been uh, right in pointing out that in Australia, unlike other parts of the world, uh, we haven't yet seen that sort of inflationary rise uh, or rather in, increasing wages growth. Uh, that we've seen in many other uh, in many, many other economies. So we are we have been so far different in that sense, and the WPI um, also printed in line with expectations. Uh, but what we know is that uh, the enterprise agreements, particularly in the government, um, have not yet been resolved. They're in the middle of these discussions, you know, the stocks uh, of strikes here in New South Wales, um, and now we have the minimum wage, where the minimum wage is likely to be set early in June. Um, and at the moment, the government is supporting this idea that it should match that, you know, close to 7%, if not 7%. Um, mm. So that provides ammunition for uh, all these enterprise agreements that are currently in discussion to, you know, to actually get a, a, a better deal, if you like. And um, um, and that that will challenge the view that the RBA is thinking that uh, the wages growth in Australia will grow up to 4%. Uh, so if you have that 7% and you have... Um, a high outcome for you know the enterprise agreements in the public sector, then all of a sudden that four percent gets challenged, and all of a sudden that means that the RBA has more work to do. So I think that the, the market is becoming very aware of that. Um, and as to the budget, um, at the margin, the budget is a little bit more inflationary, but I, I don't think it's, it's really the main topic here. I think that the market knows that we need to wait to see those information coming from wages to see if inflation eases a little bit in Australia. Now, uh, currency-wise, a very good day on Friday for the Kiwi dollar. The Aussie dollar also doing very well. But the Kiwi dollar, I guess it's just picking up from the fall that it's had over the last week or so. But uh, I, I, obviously the RBNZ's meeting this week as well. But we can expect some volatility, can't we, for the for the Aussie and the Kiwi, presumably if we, uh, particularly if we see the, you know, the US dollar pushing higher, perhaps if there's more economic gloom and people start buying the US dollar. Uh, so, I mean, which Whichever way you look at it, uh, I mean, it seems, you know, more uh, volatility in currencies is on the cards, isn't it? It is. There's a few also important levels in, in some currencies that the market is looking at. Um, and similarly, the break high in, in, in U.S. Treasury yields is quite significant in that sense. We, you know, making new highs there. Um, and yields are looking pretty perky in that sense. So there's a lot there that could, will keep markets busy. And, and just to add a little bit more over the weekend, uh, or rather even in the past few hours, we've had news from China that they're imposing a ban on microchips, on micron chips from the US. Um, so they, um, that's creating a little bit more tensions in terms of the US 
uh, and China semiconductors conflict, if you like. Um, and, and we've seen the Aussie dollar gap a little, bit, a little bit lower that opened this morning as well. So that uh, tensions between the US and China, it's, it's yet another thing to, to, to bear in mind for this week. And the PBOC very worried about uh, volatility in currency markets. On Friday, they talked about how they were fighting currency speculation on a day when the yuan actually pushed up 0.4%, so getting well over 7 to the to the US dollar, which is territory it's not really been in so far this year. Well, I think that it's just uh, a reminder that um, there's a limit to how much tolerance they have to, to a weaker CNY. Uh, and the speed of the, the, the depreciation uh, in recent times um, is now becoming a concern. Um, <clears throat> so uh, in the past, the PBC said that 7-7 seven, seven level is not an important level, but clearly it is. Um, now that we punch through above that 7, now they're expressing um, unhappiness about it. Um, and to some extent, you know, when you look at the price action compared with other currencies, also compared to the economic um, uh, flow or activity in China, it does look a little bit out of whack. It, li- it looks a little bit too too depressed. Um, um, of course, there are concerns about China's economic momentum in terms of this reopening rebound. Mm. Uh, but the economy is still performing well. Um, and and um, but certainly uh, levels above seven, they do look a little bit too too weak for seeing why given given the economic conditions as and well. It was a good day for the Japanese yen as well on Friday and the Nikkei, which hit its highest level. Since 1990, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal today just talking about how, I mean, obviously this is down to the Q1 growth, it's better than expected, 1.6% annualised. Uh, but the Wall Street Journal talking about, you know, how they've got plans to import more workers and how that might help Japan to become the un-China. So a place where people are happy to invest. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for a stronghold in Asia, here's a democracy. It's a US ally, a safe place to share technology. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, it's just hosted the G7. They obviously all had a very good time there uh, and were well catered for. So now they're talking about, uh, you know, it's all Japan. It's the new growth future, yeah. the new hub in Asia. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of talk about it. And then you've got to add to that that the currency is super cheap. So any exporter, um, it's well placed to 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 make uh, you know um, um, a good good outcomes in terms of the activity. So certainly there's a lot of talk about so how well Japan is doing. Um, uh, the the economic the equity market is is, is expressing that view. Um, we have been here before and and uh, it hasn't transpired into a more longer lasting outcome. But certainly this time, given the fact that China, that Japan has improved its relationship with South Korea, for instance, um, it's made quite a lot of inroads in terms of position itself as a as a potential um, a global semiconductor industry, you know, hub. Uh, and and given all these tensions, even the, even what we talked about over the over the weekend from China and the U.S., um, there's a lot of focus on on Japan being kind of the the place to be. So that's being reflected in in the equity market, and of course the the yield curve control policy. Is, is keeping or putting pressure on the yen, um, given that we've seen this, this rise in core global yields, in particular in 10-year US Treasury yields. So it's all been a, a nice combo for uh, the equity market and for a weaker yen as well. So we get Japan's machine orders uh, today, uh, down in February, but they're expected to rise month on month in March. Uh, China's one and five-year loan prime rates, which might stay steady but maybe not for long i mean if they if they i mean if they want to give the economy a kick then there's a possibility that they might reduce that in the future isn't there yes there's a general sense that uh, cuts are coming uh, usually you get the official cut the mlf rate and then that it is translated onto the long prime rate but there have been occasions where the prime rate goes down 
without the MLF changing, uh, that usually is, is, is linked to an increase in liquidity, which we haven't seen this time. So that's why the market thinks that there's no change or no change is likely. Um, but certainly in terms of uh, that, that evidence or growing evidence that China's uh, economic rebound is slowing, losing momentum, and the fact that there's no really inflationary pressures in China, um, then the central bank has room to stimulate the economy. And it just seems that it's only a matter of time before they do. Right. Well, today, uh, Eurozone consumer confidence numbers. Uh, we've got a couple of Fed speakers as well. Bullard is speaking on the US economy and monetary policy. Mary Daly is talking at the Bank of France Economic Symposium. I mean, so I guess they can argue against Jerome Powell because it is a pretty divided Fed. So it'll be interesting to see what they say. Uh, now Jerome Powell has come out and said what he thinks. Yeah, that's right. And we also have quite a lot of ECB speakers, which I think that debate will, will become even more interesting as well. So... Mm. Yeah. Uh, lots to, to look out for. And a busy week. Uh, we don't need to talk about it now. We've got all week to talk about it. But Aussie Retail Sales, the RBNZ, the FRMC Minutes, UK CPI, Global PMIs, and whatever happens with the debt ceiling. Uh, we'll watch that, obviously. And Japan closely. CPI as well. And Japan. Oh, God. Just too much. I'll just add it to the list. There's just so much. Uh, <laughs> good to talk, Rodrigo. Catch you soon. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. Mm, Busy, busy, busy. That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.